You are listening to Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hello and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. This is the podcast that has comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. I am your host, Debbie Roach, and in this episode, I chat with entrepreneur and coach Erica Corday. Erica has dedicated her life to expanding how others interact with the world through powerful conversations. As an entrepreneur and certified coach, her work is frequently focused on diversity, equity and inclusion, imperfect allyship and imposter syndrome. This work has taken her across the country onto stages and into communities as a key speaker and educator. Erica also has a podcast that features open conversation and dialogue on the topics of her work and more. Her podcast is Pause on the Play. Her support and leadership facilitates engaged conversations within six-figure communities, international podcasts and live events to connect people and create change. I hope that you enjoy this very empowering conversation, but as always in Uncomfortable, there's a bit of adult language, so you might want to pop on those headphones. Erica, thank you so much for joining me on Uncomfortable. Thank you for having me, Debbie. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. Um, I I love your work. And before I kind of ramble about how much um, I love what you do, I'm going to get you to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, the work that you do, and kind of, because I've had this conversation before of like how the inspiration for your work came around and it was awesome. So I'd love for you to share that. Oh, I can do that. So... I am a coach and consultant. I work a lot in the DEI space, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And a lot of what I do really does focus around the simple concept of imperfect action. I support uh, business owners. They're very often female, uh, small to micro business owners in being able to step into their beliefs, ethics, and values from a place of intentionality, really bringing it to life in how they service their clients, their uh, company policies, procedures, how they hire, and just really bringing to light what their goals are and allowing their businesses to be a force for good within that and getting you to a place that you're not afraid to talk about the big, important, hairy things because you're afraid to mess it up. We're going to eat some Nike occasionally. Don't come looking for me, Nike. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you're, it, it happens. And I don't think that that should be a reason why you don't do the thing. Do the thing anyway. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, yeah, so how did you get into this, this kind of world of helping business owners? And I mean, not just business owners, helping people really kind of, you know, create that, that world that they want to live in, that business that they want to build. I'm glad you actually put it that way, because I think that that's a big part of it. I like to really support people in being a part of creating the change that they want to see. 
mm-hmm. and really moving into that space. And for me, part of it is it's really just kind of how I am and how I've always moved through life uh, about, oh gosh, it's actually over 10 years now. Now I'm dating wow. myself. Um, <laughs> over 10 years ago, I started my beauty brand, which is Silver Immersion. And we do hair and makeup. I actually have a physical um, salon, but we do a lot of on-site stuff. So weddings, um, photo shoots, getting people ready for special events, things like that. And when I rebranded a few years ago, I really brought those ethics to the forefront in the sense of what is the type of beauty that isn't normally focused on? What is the type of love that isn't um, readily shown to be not just, you know, accessible and okay, but actually good and positive and necessary. And so when I rebranded, I really focused on same-sex couples, on people that were on their second marriages, people that were not getting married at 22, people that had blended families, women that were not a size two, women of color with natural hair, really diverse bridal parties. People that didn't want to wear a white dress. They didn't want the stereotypical wedding. And so when I finally decided to, I say finally because it took me a while to finally take the jump, but when I finally decided to jump into my um, coaching course and I'm taking this course and I'm really excited about it because the reality is, is that I've coached people as long as I could remember. I've always been someone that people would talk to and I'm doing weddings. So I'm coaching people through things. People <laughs> I bet. I know. I can only imagine. And then I think of like the things I tell my hairdresser too. And when I go, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> and that's the thing. So having people sit down with this level of trust and openness and really just kind of looking for this sounding board and this, non-judgmental open forum and you know really just now deciding that I'm going to do something that I've been doing for a very long time and doing it from a place of intentionality and to say I want to get paid for this as an actual piece of what I do um, I really was was going through and they're like oh you're gonna have to niche down and figure out what is it that you're going to coach with and my coach was like you know diversity is kind of your thing. And I was like, oh, didn't really notice that. And so it kind of was like this wake up call to step back and look at the bigger picture of how I lived my life, the conversations I had, the people that I surrounded myself with, the types of experiences or pieces of life that I chose to immerse myself in. And it became really clear that that entire concept around diversity, equity, and inclusion were these were all core values for me. And so it made perfect sense for me to step into coaching and consulting that way and to also now create a brand that was named after myself, which for those that don't know, that is my first and middle name. People are like, but this is a different last name because my last name is something else. Erica Corday is my first and middle name. Okay. And so I got to literally and figuratively step away from the wedding piece and drop the veil. I love it. I love it. (laughs) That's amazing. I definitely want to dive and I hope we'll dive more into values a little bit later on because it's one of my favorite things. But um, I wanted to chat a little bit about imposter syndrome because I know um, you and I had talked about this. And uh, 
just get you to define what you know you believe imposter syndrome is because I, I liked your take on it. So it was something that kind of came up in a conversation because I'd always been told that imposter syndrome was about you hitting this place and stepping into this bigger thing and somehow it felt scary or it felt like, oh, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. Whatever the I'm not enoughness piece of it that was coming up at that particular moment because I think it wears a lot of hats. but it seemed to me kind of like, well, is it really that you are not enough? Or is it that the person that you've had to be up to this point, these things that you've had to do in order to get through the decisions that you've had to make in order to get to the place that you currently are, maybe all of that was the imposter and maybe this person that you're stepping into this next best version of yourself that's really you and it's just more like oh that's scary because that's new and i have no point of reference on it i don't understand it and even though this person that i had to be that doesn't actually feel aligned anymore that that's still it's comfortable it's familiar and all of us have had that habit of like, well, I know I probably shouldn't eat those Oreos whole sleeve before I go to bed, but you know, the Oreos were good. <laughs> and so logic will tell you don't eat the whole sleeve of Oreos before you go to bed, but it's, it's been your comfort thing. And it's something that you, you understand it in some way, shape or form. And it really speaks to having to let go of something that no longer serves you. And stepping into what does, but it being no less scary. But the fact that it's it's really you becoming more of who you are meant to be. Yeah, I, I love that. And it really speaks to me because um yesterday for sorry, Saturday. So a couple of days ago, I went to the Taboo Sex Show, which was here in Vancouver. And I've never gone to anything like this before. And um uh-huh. there was these amazing women pole dancing there was a pole dancing competition and oh my god they were phenomenal then there was another dance group that came on that are based out of vancouver called luminesque and they're just like all women all shapes all sizes incredibly confident wearing super sexy you know kind of lingerie and dancing and they were just like so beautiful that i actually just wanted to cry and i kind of came to the realization like i want to dance again and I've not danced since I was a teen. And it was almost like this part of me that I had forgotten had existed, but was always there, came back and I actually wanted to cry while I watched them. It was just, you know, it's like, but it's scary for some reason to step out into like dancing, you know, kind of almost erotically is something I really want to try and really want to do. But that also terrifies me. So kind of everything you just said there just yeah resonated completely completely so like in your experience as both a a coach and even as a hairdresser (laughs) as well why do you think imposter syndrome is something that people deal with like why do we you know have that why are we that imposter for so long that's comfortable to us like why can't we shed that I mean so many questions but yeah let's start there (laughs) 
It's funny because I think that there's a lot of layers to it. I think that part of it is obviously anything that is kind of a deviation from whatever is your current normal has a little bit of like scariness to it, even if it's good for you. But I also think that it goes into the normal that you were given of what you do and what you don't do. Um, And that can come from your kind of family of origin. It can come from the friend circles or circles of influence that you've had up to that point, what it is that society says you do and don't do. And while I think that there's a certain amount for everybody, I think women get an exceptionally heavy amount of that. And what it is to be a woman, how you express that, uh, what is and is not acceptable, particularly what is and is not acceptable at certain ages, in certain stages, in certain spaces, at certain sizes. And so I think you have this space of something that can be kind of cracked open and awakened, kind of like what you experience, but yet you're still having to diffuse this almost vapor gas trying to come up like, oh, no, no, that's not what we do. And women are often told, you know, this is not what a good girl does, or this is not the way that you do things. And it's like, so you want me to deny all of these things, but you still want me to have those things, but you only want me to have them so that you can utilize them in the way that you feel good about doing it. And it's not actually for me, it's to suit your whims. And then it has to all just get packed away and know I have to go back and be prim and proper and know I would never do such things. It kind of makes me think of that old thing that like some, some man will be like, you know, you know, like I wanted to be like a cook in the kitchen, a freak in the bedroom kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. but where do I come in in that? Like, do I actually have a say in that? Yeah. Do I actually get to benefit from all of these hats that you want me to wear because maybe I don't want to wear them. And, you know, I do think sadly a big chunk of that normal is us being able to break free from that and saying that I get to choose who I am. And that's, that's not always easy. And so then imposter syndrome is just an easy way to be like, Oh, this is why I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost, you could use it as a crutch, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's the it's the reason why you can't, you won't, and it, finding the reasons not to are so much easier than finding the reasons to. Yeah, and it's sad. It is. It is. It's so true. So, what's like the most common concern that your clients will come to you with, um, be it imposter syndrome or something else, and how do you kind of address that and, and guide them? I think the imposter syndrome really comes up along with that imperfect action in that in a lot of cases, they want to be a better ally. And when, when I say ally, it's about seeing someone that lives differently than you, loves differently than you, looks different than you. Um, their reality is just different. And you saying that you don't have the same level of access or ability that I do that's not okay. And so I want to change that. I want to be a part of this not being the thing for you. And so in that place, there is this 
well, who am I to do this? Who am I to say uh, this isn't okay? And what happens when I mess it up? And I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. I don't want to offend anyone. And it comes up if there's a business owner that wants to utilize her platform to say, for example, give back to charities. If she wants to hire more women of color, if she wants to center more women of color in the area that she works in that is very focused around white women. And she feels like it's, there's very little diversity there. Um, I think it comes up in a lot of ways with women that have a lot of opportunity and influence and a platform to use, yet it's still no less scary to botch it, Mm -hmm. to not be sure how to navigate it. And so a lot of it really comes down to this place of, I want to do things differently than what I've always seen them done. I don't want to follow the model that I've told that this is how this works and this is who this works for and who it doesn't. Like, I don't want to subscribe to that anymore. And being a disruptor is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And so it can be tricky to work through your own mindset concerns that can come up around how do you do things differently and own the fact that you're not willing to go with what you were always told you should do. And I use should with air quotes because it's a thing. Like just saying that I I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It's not okay. And how do you kind of then guide them? How do you work with them? Like, do you have any specific process? I feel like nothing can happen until you start with really acknowledging where you are and where you want to be. So whether I have clients in Voxer, which is kind of a voice messaging app, like think the old school Nextel where it's like, and you kind of are talking with each other. Um, Or if it's, you know, workshops in groups, individual workshops, individual calls, monthly calls, there's a number of different ways that I work with people and brands. And all of these things are going to start with really having that clear identifier of where you currently are and where it is that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Being able to go through what you feel like is in the way from you being able to, to do that. Maybe what has been in your way before. What do you think could be in your way moving forward? if you can see any roadblocks that uh, could be in the way, but it's really putting someone in a place of feeling more empowered Mm -hmm. to not be limited to what someone else says that they could do, or maybe even their own beliefs of what could be. Mm -hmm. So if there's this place of this is the impact that I want to make, how can I make this happen? Let's go through and figure out some ways for you to actually put these things into action because mm-hmm. again a big thing for me is action we, we can talk all day but yeah. you have to actually be in action yeah. and being able to also understand that even with that action these things didn't get there overnight mm-hmm. and it takes time and that takes time to not only um 
begin to see how people are responding to it, seeing the difference in like your community shaping itself around a different type of person. Mm -hmm. But it's also being able to wrap your own mind around the differences. Because when you go in and you try to change, like I'll use you as an example, if you're like, I've always danced and I've always loved it, but then you've seen something so expressive that it moved you to tears. It still takes time for you to be able to have that place of like, yeah, I'm going to go do it. Like, that's not a, like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go do it. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to go buy my stuff now. It's like, oh, wait, oh, hold on. Yeah. I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to like get myself there. And, be, and, but that's, that's, I think that that's a very valid and necessary part of the process because that means that now you're actually trying to figure out how to integrate this into who you are and not let it be this thing that's just like, oh yeah, I do that. And it's like, no, I am that. Mm -hmm. I -hmm. think it's important. Yeah, I love that. Like, so we've talked about values and I know you do a lot of value values work with your clients and this is something I did a long time ago too and I just found it amazing like I can't believe I feel like it should be taught in high school or something maybe it is now I don't know (laughs) but that would be great I wish right right (laughs) try and get yourself into high schools go teach those kids Um, so why tell me why it's important for you to kind of have the values conversation and the value aligning work with your clients I don't think that you can do anything else well and from a place of intentionality if you don't have a good grasp on what your beliefs, ethics, and values are, what they are for your business or your brand, uh, what the intersection is, and then going into why that matters to your clients, to your community. Because you, you can't figure out Anything else, you know, subsequently from there, if you don't have that good grasp on what matters and how that plays into the actions that you take, how this facilitates and supports the end goal that is for yourself, for the people that you support as the service provider. I I, I don't feel like, I feel like everything is very disjointed and surface level Mm. without that base that really gets into what matters and what makes you different. Yeah. And if someone, you know, wanted to kind of dig deep and figure out what their values are, because I mean, so many people have never done this. And again, it was only a few years ago that I did it. What kind of tools, like what, what, how would you tell them to kind of go about that? Um, I, it's funny because I, we actually have a workshop that we do that really does work with that. It's our ideal client magnet workshop. And the interesting thing, yes, we actually, we do it virtually. Sweet, I'll post a link to that. (laughs) I can do that. We we did it earlier this year. We go into groups and we do it. We have individuals that will pay to have us facilitate it for them. Our next online workshop will actually be Thursday, um, April 23rd. And the reason that we like to do the virtual one is that nobody is limited from their geographical area, taking them out of the pool of being able to take it. Um, And it's something that really gets into figuring out not just your values, but also the values of your clients, because there needs to be a certain amount of overlap there in order for it to actually work. I mean, most of us that have communities that have, um, have, have built one through our podcast, I guess a great example of it, 
there is a good amount of overlap there as to what matters to you, what matters to them, and the fact that you're speaking to those things. You're giving a voice to those things for them. And so if you don't have that clear grasp of it, it's really tough to be able to then make your business work, Mm -hmm. whether it's making money, not feeling stressful because you're working with the wrong people or clients that aren't getting results because what they need may not have been what you were providing at that moment. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's nothing like, because a lot of ideal client work really just focuses on the things that I think are important if you're doing Facebook ads. How mm-hmm. old are they? Yeah. Where do they live? What type of job do they? I'm like, yeah, those are important for that. But can we go a little deeper and yeah. get the things that really matter? And I think very often there's not enough work done around what really matters mm-hmm. to them. Yes, definitely. And I find, yeah, I think once you do know your values and it's pretty clear in the way you advertise yourself or talk about your business, you'll start to attract the people whose values, you know, overlap or align with yours. And I, I used to be a virtual assistant and um, I, I could just tell when someone, it wasn't going to work. So you, it actually helps you get really, you know, better at kind of saying no to people who want to work with you when you know you're just, it's not going to align, it's not going to work. And you're doing that person a favor too, right? You don't want to take their money yep. and it doesn't work. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said that because I think that it's important to not only be clear on who you're saying yes to, but to be clear on who you're saying no to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And again, that even like ties to the imposter syndrome because, you know, when I first started out as, as a business owner, I would be just taking anyone on because I needed the money. So it was like, I was, I just wasn't being myself and I wasn't working with the people who were doing work that I I wanted to kind of help and see grow. And it just wasn't me. Right. But as I started to shift and grow, it became more aligned and I felt like my business became more me and I got more confident because of that and and felt like I'm offering a good service you know I'm I'm doing well so it was it was really really you know um fulfilling to kind of do that job then at that point so what um I want to kind of take it back to imposter syndrome and something that uh, I think I and probably a million other people struggle with is social media um especially as a business owner your social media likes, followers, comments seem to rule the roost these days. And um, so people, mm-hmm. you know, who maybe are dealing with imposter syndrome or just don't feel super confident in themselves, like what can they do to kind of not, got, not get hung up on, I've only got so many Instagram followers, I've only got so many likes, you know, how can we kind of just get over that? I'm going to say as someone who just a few years ago, absolutely hated social media, like <laughs> capital H hated social media. Um, and a lot of the talking off the ledge actually came from my business partner, India. Um, she talks a lot about why the likes don't matter, why the follower count doesn't matter. And I think that all it does is feed into this lie of the vanity numbers and that this is the thing that's going to make a difference. You can have someone that has 30,000 followers on Instagram 
but they're pushing to maybe push $10,000 a year in revenue. You don't know what the reality is. You're only seeing this surface view, no different than the fact that as a whole, social media is meant to kind of be a snapshot, a highlight reel. It's not meant to be the holistic picture. And so if you can first remind yourself from, from that imposter syndrome place that you can't, you can't compare yourself, again, using that word highlight reel, you can't compare yourself to a highlight reel because I don't stand up to my own highlight reel. Like that's, <laughs> like, that's not a real thing. Like whatever this is of like, you know, being perfectly coiffed, the hair, the makeup, the clothes, the, you know, professional images. And that's not what it always is, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's like, no, it's a lot of time of you actually doing the work and it doesn't involve you always looking photo ready. And so kind of reminding yourself of what's real versus what's, what is the marketing what's the picture on the box you know I think that's important and remembering that none of those vanity metrics whether it's numbers whether it's followers the swipe up feature any of these things you're verified any of these social media kind of like oh you want these things they don't necessarily show revenue Mm -hmm. they're not indicative of how successful someone is. And it's also important to remember that success is set by you. Someone else's version of that doesn't have to be yours. Yes. I love At that. all. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. I am. I agree. I used to joke again when I was a virtual assistant, I would work from home and I would literally just work half the time in my pajamas. And, um, I would see all these other business owners posting these amazing pictures of them being in super cool funky workplaces or drinking a perfectly you know um perfect coffee in in a gorgeous little coffee shop and I was like what am I supposed to post I sat on my couch probably with my jammies on in front of my computer every day like this isn't glamorous whatsoever like I to just take a picture of like my feet sticking out from under my laptop maybe different (laughs) each day or something you know and I just used to find it so funny that there was all these like perfect this is the virtual assistant lifestyle and there's me sitting in my apartment on a beautiful day when I can't go outside because I've got too much work to do (laughs) it's like this is not the reality (laughs) no yeah no (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, you know, people will say that and I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here. Here's my coffee. Here's yeah. my water. The blueberries <laughs> are over there. The lotion and the like lip balm is here because I can't get up and go anywhere. <laughs> like how many chargers and whatever, like, no, this is yeah. not, and no. And, and honestly, I, I, I don't always look this put together when I'm working from <laughs> home because nobody else is seeing me. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm you know. It's like people like to make it whatever fits the narrative at that moment. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you choose to do. But I think that there is a space of empowerment to have discernment on what you choose to internalize as your real or your normal. as opposed to the story that you're being told, because there's nothing wrong with someone that gets up and does a full face of makeup 
and never leaves the house, regardless of whether they're working or not. Mm -hmm. But to sell that as the reality, it could be a reality because it's your reality, but to sell that as this, 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 you know, universal reality for everyone in order to give someone this feeling of, I'm not doing that. See, this is why I don't show anything because I'm, no, we're that that spiral. It's like, can we not like just yeah. don't? That's all a lie. It's not real. I know. It's, it's like you're just kind of trying to give people something to live up to. But again, yeah, if that's not their reality, why should they live up to what yours is or someone else's is? Right? They might not even right. want to. That. Thank you for saying that mm-hmm. because I think that that's so important. I don't think that it is. It is good to be aspirational of something that actually isn't aligned with what matters to you. And if comfort matters to you and you like your jammies and your socks and you have built a six figure business around it, well, you better rock your socks. (laughs) Get some socks with dollar bills on them or something. (laughs) No, yes. Period. Point blank. No standard matters if it's not one that you don't, if you don't want it, you don't have to. It's okay to say that this isn't what I want. It's okay to say, I don't want a six figure business. It's okay to say that whatever it is that gives you the type of intentional and fulfilled life that matters for you, that's what you shoot for. Mm -hmm. No matter what anybody else is telling you, you should do, you're supposed to do, mm mm-mm. I don't believe in that foolishness. None of it. Awesome. And I'm giving you permission to throw all that crap out the window. Thank you. Okay. Are you listening, listeners? You have permission. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Do it. Do it. So your podcast, you've mentioned, Pause on the Play, um, addresses diversity, equity, and inclusion. So can you give some of our listeners some insight into the types of conversations that you have? And and hopefully you'll you'll get some listeners. Right. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. We do talk about imposter syndrome because whenever you begin to go into um, something as as deeply rooted as your values and your beliefs, it's almost inevitable that, you know, at some point it is going to rear its head. So imposter syndrome comes up in perfect action. Again, having someone just being able to move beyond a place of I can't do this because I'm afraid to do it wrong to screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. And if I make a misstep, I have learned something I acknowledge and I make amends and I keep moving because, you know, and I always kind of use the analogy of a child that's learning to walk, you know, a baby's not like, you know, I'm going to fall. So this whole walking thing, I'm just not going to do this. I'm just going to stay down here. You know, like, you're, you're going to make mistakes and especially choosing to be an entrepreneur, you're going to figure out some things the hard way. And so allowing yourself to not be afraid of not doing it perfectly. I think it's just such an important thing. So I talk a lot about that. I talk about what company culture looks like when you are bringing your values in and how you can shift things to actually be more indicative of that and you are speaking to your clients and your community and we also talk about visibility and mindset and how how you feel about things again going back with again that whole like what's your normal can really affect how visible you're willing to be Mm -hmm. and visibility isn't always about 
do you see me? It's literally how you are able to step into living your beliefs, ethics, and values out loud. And so again, I think, I think that was such a beautiful example you gave. So thank you for that. Like again, dance, (laughs) being able to let yourself move into this place of what feels good for me to express who I am and where I am right now. And why is this a, a part of wellness for me? How is this a part of me bringing my whole self? How is this expression a part of me being able to demonstrate things that don't have words? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so important to really go into these kinds of things and being able to have that lens of what does diversity look like? What does inclusion look like in what you're building? What does you know equity actually provide through the services that you offer? How does this play a role in how you move through the world? Mm-hmm. Being able to allow these things to be a part of what you're doing and making them feel less scary. Talking about things in a very open and honest way. And it's, it's, it's dialogue, it's conversation. Um, I often have a co-host and we, we talk frankly and there might be an F-bomb or two that get dropped yeah, here or there. Yeah. And it's, it's, like, it's real, like it's legitimately having this conversation because for me, conversation and connection is such an important thing. And I think that if people talk more, that it would make a big difference. Like actually listen and heard, okay, this is my reality. This is your reality. You know, how do you look at this differently? How do you feel differently? I think that not having that creates such a barrier. And it's, it's the root of a lot of the challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I found um, like the podcasting world and podcasting community has been a great place to allow people to have those conversations because, you know, podcasting isn't really like regulated or it's not owned by a massive corporation that kind of determines what the conversation is going to be. So I found it, you know, by listening to, you know, podcasts that I never would have thought to listen to or or wouldn't really get to see or hear on tv and radio has been a great way to kind of understand other communities and other people's struggles and and just learn and be a better human person by listening to folks have a conversation around an uncomfortable topic right um and that's Mm -hmm. i love podcasting for that reason um and it kind of leads me to my next question because you have alluded to this I know because you come from the beauty world and you know certain communities just not being represented properly whether it's in an ad for a wedding or a poster for you know a bridal shop and and not you know and then you kind of turned to work with couples who are same sex who want to get married women of color people who are not a size two so do you feel like what ways do you think the media can actually do a better job in representing diversity? I think that that has to start by shifting who's in the room and who's got a seat at the table. Mm. Because um, if you have a room full of old or middle-aged white men that are deciding what diversity is, well, we've already excuse my French, we've already fucked up. Like, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> from the word go, like it's already shot to shingles. Like yeah. 
that's not how that works. So I think that it's important to be able to have diverse voices being able to actually contribute to that conversation to be able to decide what that looks like. And I think that can contribute to what it looks like to create the diversity on the backside, but then that can then feed into the decisions that are made on, you know, the front facing side of it, because I think that you need both pieces. If you have an ad campaign that doesn't look diverse, but yet there's a bunch of diversity on the back, well, then that's going to make someone say, well, there's no diversity. If there's all of this diversity on the front, but it's not on the back end, and something happens, you're like, I don't understand why that happened. Mm -hmm. Well, probably because somewhere on the back end, there's no checks and balances to actually make sure that the people that you're trying to reach are actually the people that are answering the questions to be able to facilitate whether or not that works or not. That's just yeah. like asking a man, what, what kind of tampon do you want us to make? I, you can't answer that question. <laughs> you don't know. Like, I mean, like, most, of them, most of them barf at the word tampon anyway. <laughs> exactly. So it's just like, no, that's not how that works. And so I think that it's so important to be able to have it on both ends so that, you know, if, if there was a marketing campaign coming up and you had a diverse team on the back, but you also had some checks and balances when it came to HR and then the DEI side of it, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, then someone can say, this is diverse if you were only looking at age, but race isn't here or size isn't here or um, hair texture, skin tone, because I've seen a lot, and this is a valid example. And then I see a lot of people that will say, oh, I, I have diversity of race, but you chose to center women of color that were very fair. Mm -hmm. So you're not giving the diversity of someone that um, is indicative of a mid-range or a darker um, person on that scale of skin tones or someone that has um, very defined curly hair versus like your hair is natural and it's big and it's more Afro-like or it's very short and, and cropped. But there's other nuances that can be missed if you're asking someone to judge it, that it doesn't apply to. Because I can't, I, if someone said, what do you think that a white woman wants when it comes to her marketing? I can't answer that. Mm -hmm. And I think that being the DEI person, it's like, okay, well, I can speak to the experience that I have. I can speak to what I've seen, but I can't speak for someone. And I can't even speak for every woman of color. I can speak for me. I can give my take on it, my um, perspective, but I don't ever venture to speak for every single person. I don't think any one person should be the mouthpiece. And that's where uh, I think that having more than just one person, like, see, we have a diversity team. We have one gay man in the back and it's like, mm, no, that's, yeah. no, fail. <laughs> fail. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's really understanding what it looks like as a cumulative thing and how it needs to be on all sides that's awesome do you see it changing like I mean I'm just thinking even five ten years ago um I have started to notice more diversity you know in tv shows to, to pick something kind of easy um like, do you kind of see it changing? Is it slowly? Is it fast? There seems to be a lot more work for sure. But what's your perspective on that? I think that there have been a lot of shifts 
Um, there was a point where th- there are shows on TV that like, I think like Queer Eye or like mm-hmm. RuPaul's Drag Race, that there was a point that they wouldn't have even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think there are shows like Sex in the City, which ended up kind of creating an archetype of what a woman's show looks like. And then it became all of these other shows. And, you know, you began to see some of this created within different communities Mm -hmm. than just what it looked like initially. Um, Where I feel like some of it feels very surface is that I feel like it happens and it doesn't really go any deeper where sometimes it's a, wait a minute, look, we, we, we threw a black person in there. There's a gay person. Did you see it? There's a gay. And it's like, uh, that, but that's just one person. And it didn't address the culture. It's no different than you like, especially this t- um, time of year, there's all the award shows. Mm-hmm. And so choosing to have a performer um, that is from a more marginalized group doesn't change the fact that the people that are making the decisions and the people that are winning is still very homogenous. So that's where I feel like there are kind of these like sprinkles of color and diversity put on things, but the recipe hasn't changed enough. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you say it's surface. They're kind of just doing it to attempt to prove that they are diverse, but it's, it's not enough. It's yeah. It's not on a deep level. And part of that comes from the fact that it's easy to put the Band-Aid on and say that this fixes it, but if you don't address the fact that it's an actual um, cultural or systemic thing, and when I say cultural, I mean like if we think of the Oscars, like there's an issue with the culture of what the Oscar represents. So if you don't begin to unpack that and to see where there are things that need to change, then you're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, you kind of stopped the bleeding, but it's still pretty messy. Like, yeah. we didn't fix it. So get great gang greens growing. Yeah. So <laughs> we need surgery <laughs> to get right in there. Yeah. Exactly. So the, the short answer is I think that there are shifts that have been made. I think that there are conversations um, that are being had that weren't being had in the same type of way before. Um, but I still think that from a cultural and systemic place, there's a lot of things that need gutting and upheaval. And it's not a simple fix. And just sticking a DEI person, regardless of who the person is or what the handbook is that you throw in there, it, it needs to go bigger than that. And if you don't, and that's where, if you don't, what are the values of the Oscars? You know, is, is equality a part of that? You know, yeah. is it about really creating a space where all voices are being heard? Because if it's not, then again, it's just like, wait a minute. See, see, we had a Native American person. See, look, look. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a good point. It's almost like, you know, the Oscars committee or whoever is it the academy award people i don't really understand it anyway it's like they need to sit down and actually do like a values workshop and come up with like a new set of values um yeah i yeah the oscars are a bit weird to me but that's <laughs> just me I don't really yeah care, but yeah it's it and it is but it, sadly it's a it, i think it's a good example mm-hmm. of it yeah which Definitely. is a good and a bad thing it's a good example but bad oscars 
Yeah, yeah, yeah come on. Get your shit together, Oscars. Do better. Yep. Do better, please. Ex- yes. 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 So what the kind of resources would you offer to, you know, people kind of both suffering from imposter syndrome? Because I definitely think there's a connection with then those who are kind of being underrepresented in media, even undermined in the media. Like if you have a client um, that comes to you and you're just looking for help, like other than obviously all the resources you have yourself, where is there any good websites, good books that you would recommend, other good podcasts? Um, um, I know we have yours and I'll certainly link to that, um, but that you would recommend. Hmm. Good question. Um, it's funny. I, there's two books that I always tend, actually three that I always feel like are really important um, because a lot of what people can run into that can possibly bring them to me. It, it it's a lot of outside influence. It can be a lot of noise. Uh, I think when you are an entrepreneur, there's a lot of, this is how you should be. This is how you should do it. This is the framework. This is the the system, the plan. And it's really important for you to kind of shut out some of that noise and go inward a little bit and get your own intuition to a place that you can hear that versus this megaphone out here. Mm -hmm. And so three of my favorite books that I find that really help with that first one and I, I recommend it all the time it's the alchemist oh okay the, and it's one of those books that really it, it's it, it's really focused around listening to your intuition and as you are kind of chasing your riches almost whatever those riches are figuratively or literally really seeing the signs around you And I think that that's a big part of your intuition. You have to begin to pay attention to what's going on and not just seeing what you think you should see. So I think that's really helpful. The second is called The Untethered Soul. And that's one that really kind of gets into... You ever like notice when you're walking down the street and you're, you kind of hear the internal dialogue of like, why is she wearing that coat? That coat looks terrible. Oh my gosh, the dog is peeing on the ground. Yeah. And it's like, you can obviously see all of these things happening, yet there's this dialogue that's telling you this as it's happening. And it goes into kind of what's the difference of you and your own voice and the voice that you're hearing. So almost that like, here's your intuition, here's your ego kind of thing. And being able to disconnect to what you think is yourself and really realizing how it it really isn't. It's just a little bit more of this very often unhelpful inner dialogue. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find that, again, that's really helpful because you can't do any kind of values work if you don't allow yourself to get to a place to get quiet enough to hear what your values actually are and not what you think they should be. And the third is essentialism. And it just gets you to that point of like, most of what you do is not important. Let's let that stuff go and let's focus on what is important. And I think that it is really important to hone in on your own intuition and be able to listen to that and give yourself space to decide what is important to me, which is a huge part of your beliefs, ethics, and values, because if you don't know what's important to you, then it can be hard to know that you are acting from a place of intentionality. Mm -hmm. So there are kind of three very different books, but I feel Mm -hmm. like they're 
extremely, in, you know, integral in that path of being able to kind of silence some of the noise, allow your own voice to be heard better because sometimes people think, oh, it's not loud enough. No, you're not listening enough. Mm. And being able to let yourself find importance in those core things that are important and release the rest. Cool. Awesome. I will link to those books. I'll, I'll find them. And um, The Alchemist has been on my list for a long time and I don't know why I've just never got, because I've it's, numerous people have recommended it. It's a great book. Yeah. And, and it was one that for a long time I was like, ah, and then I listened. I was like, oh, this book is amazing. <laughs> and it's a relatively short read, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do recommend the audio book because it's one of those that sometimes you're, you're hearing the story being told and you're picturing it. And there's a lot of validity in being able to piece it together and have that visual, uh, almost movie that's being played of mm-hmm. what, what is happening. It's such a good book. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a fan. It's weird that for all, like, I love audio books for more kind of, um, self-help educational type things. I seem to, mm-hmm. it seems to sink better. Like all my Brenny Brown ones are, are audio books. Whereas if it's like yes. a novel and just a story, I prefer it to be an actual physical book. I don't know why, but yeah. That's the weird part. It's like, it's an, it's a story, but yet it's almost more, it it almost had more impact for me than some of the most impactful, like self-help books that I've read. Like it mm. just draws such a parallel to life. It's, yeah. it, it makes me think of like, what was that old book? I think it was like Animal Farm where oh, people right. draw yeah. a lot of life parallels from it, even yeah. though it's not, you know, it's not like this, I'm um, telling you my story. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of that. Yeah. Okay. It reminds me of that. Okay, it's next on my list. My New Year's resolution was to read one book a month, <laughs> which actually Ooh. in January I did read a George Orwell book. It wasn't Animal Farm. It was Down and Out in Paris and London. So I now need my February book, and it's almost halfway through February. I haven't started one, but maybe I'll get <laughs> The Alchemist and I'll get through it in it's, two weeks. <laughs> it's it's only like three hundred and something pages, so okay. it's. That's in the world of yeah, in the world of books, that's relevant. Like I, I remember back in the day, reading like almost I had to stop myself from reading Twilight in like one night <laughs> myself here, but, right. like the, I, I had to like stop myself. So like I was that kid that would easily read three or four hundred page books in a yeah. night, and I have been able to reconnect with that, which I, I love. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, I talked about the dancing, you talk about reading, it's like the self care part of kind of letting go of that imposter is going back to things like that, that kind of made you happy. And, and, you know, it's, it's a fun story twilight and it just takes your mind off stuff and it, it helps your imagination. So don't, you know, rule out those things that don't seem like they would be good for business or that you should be reading all these business books when sometimes it's nice yes. just to have fun and, and do something unrelated. Right. Thank you for saying that to oh, me. You're welcome. You have my like permission it. to reread Twilight if you want. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I like I like going back into that like childlike play thing. It's important. That's it, awesome. Yes, it really is. And we just we don't go there enough. Right. Okay. New yes. New Year's resolution. Find my inner child. 
Yes, do it, do it. All right, Erica, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for chatting to me. I really, I really appreciate it. And I feel more inspired for 2020. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Thank you for having me, Debbie. This was amazing. I love good conversation. And you did not disappoint. You fully delivered. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Uncomfortable. Now you can find out more about Erica over on her website, ericacorday.com. Don't forget to subscribe to her podcast, Pause on the Play, and follow her over on Instagram and Facebook at Erica Corday. And of course, all of those links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation or you have any comments that you would like to share over on our episode page of our website, then head to uncomfortable.blog and feel free to post them in the comments box. You can also follow us on social media. We are at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. If you like what you heard, then head over to Apple Podcasts and make sure to give us a glowing review and make sure to hit all of those five stars. You can also support us on a monthly basis by becoming a patron and pledging as little as two to five dollars per month. Your monthly pledges will help keep this little podcast on its pod feet by covering costs such as website, podcast hosting, editing software and equipment upgrades. Thank you again for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable.